Good evening, grave robbers, and welcome to the television graveyard. We are your TV necromancers, Lara Prince and Noah Houlihan. We have come here tonight to examine the spirits of past television shows, to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This is a podcast in which we analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season, including some that ran only one episode. But this is a very special episode of Stay Doomed. With me, as always, is TV's Noah Houlihan. Zippity doo da. Hey! Oh God! No! The Disney police are here! Oh, everybody, get down! I'm so sorry. The copyright police are here. Yeah, we only have like maybe five seconds of that before we get copyright strikes. Welcome to the movie Disney doesn't want you to see, but built a theme park ride around. This, Grave Robbers, is Song of the South. Mm-hmm. That's right. We have a copy. <laughs> Don't ask how we got it. Nope. We know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. And I asked no further questions. Mm-hmm. The DVD we have looks quasi-legit. Yeah, it's a good Sharpie. Yeah. Oh, I bet like they had they had an interactive menu. Remember that is when true. they used to like advertise that in the back of the box? Yeah, yeah. Animated menus, interactive menus. So we got to see the movie that has been uh, unreleased in America since 1986, "Song of the South." Yes, and it sure does exist. Yes. So uh, to give a little history lesson, because I've actually done a fair amount of research on this film. This was released in 1946 and was controversial even then for its portrayal of race relations in Reconstruction Era South. Got several more re-releases and the last one was in 1986. So this hasn't been released domestically since then, but it's been released in Europe and Japan. So if you know a guy who knows a guy. Right. It's possible to see it. We can't give you like a YouTube link or anything. Nope. There there may be zero clips in this one because I believe Disney will take down any clips that I include. Right. So chances are there was a version that had all a whole bunch of clips in it. And I really liked it. And I worked really hard on it. And it got taken down. And now I'm putting up this version. Yeah. So if there's no clips in this one, we apologize. But uh, Disney's pretty serious about their copyright strikes. Yeah. So... We open on a carriage ride. Yes. With Johnny. Mm-hmm. Mr. Johnny, Johnny's mm-hmm. father. Yes. Miss Sally, Johnny's mother, and Aunt Tempe. They're not slave. Yes. Because this is post-Civil War. So she's not a slave, but she's clearly a servant. Yes, her, they're African-American housemaid. Yeah, and this is a very common theme through the entire film, is you kind of... They don't really go into the relationships Mm -hmm. that much between the black serving class and the white owners. Right. So, I mean, yeah, we're, this, there's a lot here. Yeah. So let's, here's the first thing that I noticed Mm -hmm. with this first scene. They're riding in, they are riding to the little boy's grandmother's house on the father's side. And they talk about Uncle Remus. Yes. Who is a sharecropper who lives on the farm or the 
household plantation. plantation and has been kind of talked up to this little boy by his father. Yes. And he talks about like, when I was a boy, Uncle Remus would do this, this, and this, and this. When he was a boy, Remus was a slave. Almost certainly. <laughs> and then in the interim, <laughs> the, the slaves were freed. So I, I was very much like, oh, this is, ooh. Like, they used to own Uncle Remus. Uh... Yeah, this is this is pretty much... They never want to address the ugly truths about this. Uh, the Uncle Remus stories were popularized by an author named Joel Chandler Harris, who was a white Southerner who believed that Uncle Tom's Cabin was, and I quote, a wonderful defense of slavery. So this is not a man you are getting your race relations information from. Right. Because he is not good at it. Because what I'm to understand is this, like, collection of short cartoons of Briar Rabbit, the way Walt Disney saw it would be as if they were trying to make a short collection of Mother Goose or Anunsi the Spider or something like that. Where it was just like, yeah, they're just short tales. But in this case, it happens to come from Uncle Remus. Yeah, like, they're kind of like an aesop like, collection of folk tales. It'd be like if they did an English version, if they just had, like, a little girl going to her grandmother's for tea and her grandmother's Beatrix Potter. Right. And it's like, here's Peter Rabbit and stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. But make it racist. Yeah, well, I could see where they were like, well, what, what's a collection of stories we can get? And make a movie about. Like, th- throw some... We did Mother Goose. No, can we, can we need something else. We need another group. Uh, there's this Uncle Remus. Buy it up. Well, Walt Disney was a longtime fan of the Uncle Remus stories. He wanted to make this movie. Okay. Real bad. Um, he is famously quoted as saying that uh, post-war, when... Because this was released in 1946. The Disney company was a little hard up for cash. Most of their money had been coming from government contracts. And they were just barely covering costs. So that's why a lot of the movies released in the 1940s were what are called package films. Okay. Uh, A package film is a series of shorts that are kind of loosely strung together. So think like Saludos Amigos, Three Caballeros, Fun and Fancy Free, and Melody Time. Gotcha. Would be the four that stand out. And later, um, Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Okay. So it's these loose shorts that are kind of strung together. Right. And this is, in a way, a package film. Yeah. Because it's short strung together with the Uncle Remus through line. But this movie had to be a little less expensive to make. So having the live action sequences was a good cost-cutting measure. And uh, Disney is famously quoted as saying, No more caviar, it's meat and potatoes from here on out. Okay. Movies like Pinocchio, Fantasia, and... Snow White were critically lauded. But outside of Snow White, they were not terribly financially successful. Okay. I mean, obviously, they've made money hand over fist with the sheer number of re-releases and merchandise there are now. Right, right. But they didn't make a lot of money in their theatrical runs. Yeah, and I and there was that whole era of Disney where they just made those terrible live-action movies. Like, if you think about Disney live-action... You probably go right to Mary Poppins. Right. But there was that whole era of like the ugly dachshund, 
that darn cat. Uh, I, I would probably throw like Herbie the Love Bug in this era, era where it's kind of like they really made that movie, huh? Yeah, the like sixties and seventies have a lot of these. I someone wrote a script and thought this was this. We gotta make this. I can't believe you brought up the Ugly Dachshund because I heard about it for the first time yesterday. Really? Yes. The Ugly Dachshund. Oh man, time to really carbon date myself here. But back when the Disney Channel was a carbon or was a carbon. I'm sorry, I got carbon on the brain now. Back when it was a premium channel. There would be a free weekend of the Disney Channel. I remember this. And whenever that happened, my mom would just throw in a tape and record the Disney Channel. My dad so would do we this could for watch, me too. So we could watch Under the Umbrella Tree. And Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Yeah, stuff like that. The Ewok movie that they always showed. And at the end of the tape was the Ugly Dachshund. And I could never sit through it because it's a boring movie. <laughs> I bet I'd like it now. It's got a lot of dogs in it. I do love dogs. We They get to the plantation. We got in this whole, like, history yeah. lesson. They get to the plantation, and uh, Johnny's dad, it turns out, writes for the newspaper, and he's writing some incendiary things, and a lot of people are mad at him. So Johnny's parents are separating. Right. And Sally and Johnny are going to stay with Johnny's grandmother. I thought it was Sally's mother, but that doesn't make sense either, because Johnny's dad talks about... Uncle Remus. Yeah, so I'm guessing it must be Johnny's father's mom. Mm -hmm. But they leave Sally and Johnny there. Mr. Johnny, the dad, leaves and Johnny cries. Now, they're not, like, the the marriage isn't ending, is it? I thought he just had to go to work. They're, like, really tense with each other. Yeah. So they're kind of just, they're separating. Yeah. There's not, it's not a legal separation. It's not a divorce. That wasn't really done much at that time because she said she like asked him to stay and he's like i have to go he's gonna miss his train gonna miss my train so i gotta get back to atlanta we get this very clear uh night falls and we get this very clear day to night shot yes like not well done day to night shot and there is a song called that's what uncle remus said right sung by the black sharecroppers who are living on the plantation and i want to point out how this song is filmed we never see individual people singing we see the crowd a little bit but mostly it's underscoring johnny running away right that's a huge trend in this movie is the voices and stories of the black characters are used to further little white johnny's story right and it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, I'll explain more of my feelings towards that as we go on. But that is a common trend. And then we see Uncle Remus with the children. Don't get attached to these children. You never see them again. No. And he's telling a Br'er Rabbit story. He's found by Aunt Tempe. Yeah, I believe it's the the story of how he lost his tail, and now there's just a little bit of cotton there instead of what a rabbit tail should be. Yeah, we don't see this story the way we see the rest of them. Yeah, but like it feels very Aesop-y. Mm-hmm. That kind of like, you know, and this is why this animal behaves this way. I mean, all of these are handed down from African-American folklore. This is right. oral history that Joel Chandler Harris stole and sold. Gotcha. Joel Chandler Harris had a 
uh, what he thought was a good relationship with a black slave who told him all these stories. So uh, Joel Chandler Harris would see himself in Johnny. Okay. Yeah. He would be like, oh, look, that was me. So that's why this is very written very sympathetically for the little white child hearing these stories. Right. And this will tie into the ending of the film as well. Uh, Johnny's like hiding in the bushes listening. Yes. Because he was fixated on Uncle Remus. Now he has found Uncle Remus. And Aunt Tempe uh, emerges. And she's furious with Uncle Remus. And Uncle Remus is like, she's, well, she's not furious with Uncle Remus yet. She's looking for Johnny. Mm-hmm. And Uncle Remus is like, the boy's with me. Right. Even though Johnny is not like crept out of the bushes yet, you get this idea that like, Remus knows he's there. Mm-hmm. So Tempe's like, okay, and leaves. And then, like, Remus finds Johnny. Right. What did you notice here? What did I notice here? Yeah. Uh, one thing was I felt like Uncle Remus to me was coming off as scary because he was so poorly lit. Yes. That I could not see him <laughs> because they didn't know how to light people then. No, yeah, they didn't. I, I don't know if they didn't know or they didn't care how to light people of color. Yeah. But it has this very, like, blackface minstrelsy feeling. Because yeah. all you really see are his eyes and teeth. hmm Which is, like, ridiculously offensive. Yeah. Like, it feels racist to describe it that way. Yeah, But that is what it what's happening. <laughs> and, like, it calls to mind images of minstrelsy. Yeah. And... It's because they don't bother to light him. And I actually had tried to fix the brightness the first time I saw this copy. Because I thought <laughs> you figured was, it was the television? I, I thought it was like, you know, it's not a strictly speaking good copy. Mm. Until Johnny comes on screen. And Johnny is lit totally correctly. Right. And you're like, oh, wait, the filmmakers just didn't care. Mm-hmm. Or they did care and intentionally did that. And I'm honestly not sure which is worse. <laughs> So then we get the Scarecrow story about how Br'er Rabbit gets a job as a Scarecrow. And the first time he's... I mean, that's that's what he claims, but that's not what happens. Yeah, sorry. I, I used shorthand. Okay, so we get our first story, which is Br'er Rabbit's leaving and he's never coming back. Yes, which is what Johnny is saying. Yeah, because Johnny says he's leaving and he's never coming back. And Br'er, not Briar. I've always said Briar. And when they keep, kept saying Br'er, I was like, that feels wrong to me. Because it's a Briar patch, right? Br'er is short for brother. Oh. I always thought it was Briar Rabbit's Briar patch. And, I mean, that's fair. Because they've stripped so much of the African-American culture out of it that you would have no idea. Yeah. That they're trying... Because all of these voices are also meant to echo what white people thought black people sounded like. Yeah. Br'er Fox, I believe, is voiced by James Baskett, who yes. is the actor who plays Uncle Remus. Okay. And I believe in a couple of scenes, James Baskett also voices Br'er Rabbit. Okay. That makes sense. So Br'er Rabbit is leaving and he's like struggling to... Does Uncle Remus sing zippity Doodah first? Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, we skipped over zippity Doodah. That's right. Sorry. We get this shot where it gets in close on Remus and then daytime. It it explodes into color in a shot that feels very Disney magical. Yeah. Where it's just like it it was very dark and now he's in a cartoon world. 
and he sings zippity doodah the song you know yes uh and he's you know he's actually has a bluebird on his shoulder and all sorts of animals talk to him and all sorts of animals though this is the first time i learned the words to this yeah i was always under the impression it was it is the truth it's factual Everything is satisfactual, mm-hmm. but it's it's the truth. It's actual. Yeah. Which, I, I don't know, to me sounds wrong. It, I mean, those are the words. It's the <laughs> truth. It's actual. Yeah. It, just a little thing I noticed that I was like, oh, I've been singing this song incorrectly for 30 years. I mean, this was a technological wonder when this was happening. Now, animated and live action footage had been being mixed together since like the 1910s and 20s. This wasn't even Disney's first foray into it. Right. But is there anything that we would have known? Because this is before uh, Mary Poppins. Absolutely. It's before uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Sure is. I, I believe it's before Pete's Dragon. Yes. Like, uh, I'm. it's way before uh, Roger Rabbit. Well, obviously. Like... Those are the ones where cartoons... It's before Space Jam. Uh, I can't think of another, like, cartoon... Like, there's the one where a cartoon, like, tap dances with someone. I know what you're talking about, but they actually did live action mixed with animation in Three Caballeros. Oh, really? Donald dances with a live actress. Okay. So they had done this before, um, on a smaller scale. It wasn't as much of the film as it is Song of the and it is very technologically interesting. And the way the live actors interacted with the animation is much better in Song of the South. Yeah. Especially toward the end. Yes, which I, I want to talk about in detail a little bit later. Yes. But Br'er Rabbit is, is there and he's talking to there. Uncle Remus. He talks to Uncle Remus and he's, he's pushing boards up against the door and just letting them fall. And he's talking about how he's leaving and never coming back. And he goes, he leaves, and he goes up the road, Mm -hmm. and he steps into a snare. Yes. The way he is hanging is uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it gets both of his legs, Mm -hmm. but it's also around his neck. Yeah. So it looks like he's hanging. Yeah, like he's just kind of like, the only thing hanging out is his butt. Yeah. It's a little, I didn't care for that. Okay. Sight. Okay. And uh, Br'er Fox sees it from a distance and is like, "Ooh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill that rabbit." Yeah, he he wants to eat Br'er Rabbit quite badly. Yes, but like not so badly that he's gonna go without sharpening his axe. Right. Like he could have been sharpening his axe this whole time, but no. Now that he's caught, it's axe sharpening time. Because cartoon. Right. And while he's hanging there. Up comes Br'er Bear. Br'er Bear. Br'er Bear. Br'er Bear. Yeah, the rural juror, Br'er Bear. (laughs) Yes. And Br'er Rabbit says that he got a job as a scarecrow. Yes. And he's making a dollar a minute? Yes. And he basically tricks the bear into taking his place in this trap. Yes. And this is a trend with Br'er Rabbit. Instead of leaving, he hangs out and, like, gloats for too long. Yeah. I mean, the um, 
the trickster rabbit figure is a folklore figure Mm -hmm. in african-american culture right so like he needs to be the trickster and the trickster usually stays in gloats yeah but like he's it's not like a bugs bunny thing where bugs kind of like is smug and is like hmm what's up yeah there's a moment in this scene where Rare Rabbit is gloating and then realizes he's in trouble again, turns to run and runs into a rock. Yeah. Like, there's also this emphasis on, yes, he's clever, he is not smart, and he is very clumsy. He's clumsy and he's arrogant. Yeah. I never feel like Brer Rabbit is a hero. I don't think you're supposed to feel like he's a hero. Like, it's just him getting away with stuff. And, like, there's there's kind of an element of, like, you deserve to be caught for what you're doing. But I guess you don't deserve to die. <laughs> right, but, Because like, getting caught is getting eaten. Right, but there's also this element of, like, well, if you hadn't done X, you wouldn't be in this situation. Fair enough. Like, you, all of this could have been avoided if you had just behaved yourself. Fair. And that's a weird undertone in all of this. Mm, I hadn't caught that. Yeah. So, uh, Johnny and Remus decide not to run away because Remus has offered to run away with Johnny. Yeah, they're going to run off to Atlanta together to get his dad. Yeah. But they decide not to run away and Sally is fretting about Johnny being missing when Remus brings him back. And Sally is immediately unkind to Remus. Yeah. like Because mm. Remus is like, I'm sorry, I was telling stories and I lost track of the time. Yes. Especially with this terrible day-to-night shooting. Who knows what time it is. Right. And right. Sally scolds him. Right. And you get this feeling like Uncle Remus is covering for him. Because he didn't want to say, like, your son was planning to run away. Yeah, Uncle Remus is absolutely covering for him. But I bet there's also an a underlining feeling of uh, if he were to say, well, your son did this, it would not go over well for Remus to be putting blame on someone else. Yeah. Another like little thing I caught. Yeah. They, they scapegoat Uncle Remus fairly consistently whenever Johnny misbehaves. Yes. Um, so the next morning we get this like fun little scene of Toby who is a young boy about Johnny's age, who is black. Yes. And he shows up in Johnny's room with a frog. Yes, they they have a frog and there's like a fun like, yay, we're kids with frogs. Yeah, it's like a cute little slapstick scene. Yeah. Well, hide him in my hat. Yeah, where like Toby hides the frog in his hat to keep it from Miss Sally. And Sally makes Johnny put on this like very stuffy crushed velvet suit. With a laced collar his other grandmother has made for him. Because his other grandmother's supposed to be coming to visit. Right. So, he is wearing this very stuffy, very uncomfortable looking, like, crushed velvet looking suit. Yeah. With a lace collar. He looked almost Wednesday Adam-esque. Yes. And, uh, they, he and Toby are out for a walk waiting for his grandmother to arrive and we meet the Fabers who are a poor white family who live on the plantation. Right. And the Faber boys are taunting a puppy who is the runt of the litter announcing they're going to drown it. They're going to murder a puppy. Yeah. Like this is the establishing character moment for these two kids. And they're, they're two jerk gingers. 
Yeah. <laughs> like the they're Weasleys. Yeah, they're but like they're not adorable. No, it reminds me of the bully from a Christmas story. Okay. I believe he was a ginger. Uh you know I've never seen a Christmas story. What? I've no well, was it stop the podcast? <laughs> they play it for twenty-four hours. I've probably seen all of it in chunks at some point. Oh, okay. I but I thought you were about to be like, I don't know what happens in a Christmas story. No, no, I know the leg lamp, I know Fragile, I know you'll shoot your eye out, kid. <sighs> okay. It's it's not the Muppet Christmas. You are Miss Christmas. I know. How have you not seen it? The parts I've seen haven't really appealed to me. And I could just be watching a Muppet Christmas Carol. Ugh. Excuse me. You will not deride. I'm not deriding a Muppet Christmas Carol. I just think it's crazy you haven't seen a Christmas story. Uh, the Favor Boys have a sister named Ginny. And it's her puppy. Yes. And... Because her brothers are just going to drown the puppy and Johnny expresses interest in the puppy. Uh, she just offers to just give him the puppy. Right. And I, I get what Ginny's doing because like now she can at least think that the puppy's going to have a good life. Right. Like because her brothers are consistently threatening to drown the dog. And after she does that, uh, she compliments Johnny's lace collar. Right. Which he happily gives her. Yes. And you see this, like, cute little moment of this poor little girl Mm -hmm. who's probably never had anything, like, this handmade lace collar. And she's, like, kind of, like, strutting around in it. Yeah. She feels very pretty. She feels pretty. And they strike up a friendship. I still think that is a crazy trade. A lace neck garment for a dog. Because a dog a lot of trouble it's a lot of work i don't know if you've ever had to ask your parents for a dog but they make you walk a empty leash around the block for a couple weeks what you gotta prove you're responsible and that you'll walk the dog every day so they give you a leash and you're like you walk this leash around and they hope that you just stop doing it so they don't have to buy you a dog but then you keep doing it and then they buy you a fish this was not my childhood. It's everyone's childhood. Trust me. Just trust me on this one. Every kid that has seen a Christmas story has also had to go through this experience. <laughs> I just had to beg for a decade. And then for my 13th birthday, I got a dog. <laughs> I mean, I had to beg for a decade. But I eventually got my dog. So, um, dog. So the dog, Johnny, Ginny, and the lace collar go on a boat ride. <laughs> yes. Singing zippity doo dah. Which, by the way, where did they get this boat? They just jump on a boat and they're like, let's go. Yeah, it's just like a boat that's hanging out on the side of the it's stream. Like, what, yeah, are they on a river? Is it a pond? It looks like a stream. Like, it doesn't look very big. Yes. And I, I believe we might have missed this, and this will be important later. But they're, when uh, he's playing with Toby... He attempts to run across the field that has a bull in it. And they're like, yo, don't do that. The bull will kill you. Right. His name's Chekhov. (laughs) Be careful. Chekhov's bull. (sighs) Anyway. So Aunt Tempe wants nothing to do with the dog and tells Johnny to get rid of the dog. Right. Remus agrees to keep the dog for Johnny after... Johnny is not allowed to have the dog. 
So then Remus tells the story about the tar baby. Yes. And this is an, this is one of those um I remember them showing the short on the Disney Channel. Really? When we were kids. Cause what I remember, and I might actually have you look this up right now, mm-hmm. I had the little golden book of the tar baby. And the like cassette tape that went with it that was like when you hear the chime turn the page. Yeah. Cause I had this like collection. I, I want to say it was like six or maybe even 12 little cassette tapes and 12 books that uh, told these like little stories. And when you hear the chime turn the page, yeah, there it is. How much is that worth? Oh. Because I'm sure Golly. like in retrospect, it's got to be worth a great deal because it, it, it's a way to get this story that like Disney's trying to hide. So I'm curious what the eBay price of this thing's going to be. Ah, uh, it's not that bad. Just ten bucks. Yeah, uh, to get it sealed is only thirty. Is is oh? There's the cassette. The cassettes. The cassettes only eleven dollars. Yeah. Okay. So it's like thirty bucks. All right. I feel. I feel a little bit better. <laughs> because they were selling these well into the eighties and nineties. Right. Because we owned them. So yeah, I'm very familiar with this story. But this is, uh, if you don't know the story of the Tar Baby. Strap in, kids, because this is where it goes straight into Uncomfortable Town. Yep. Uh, so Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear are trying to catch Br'er Rabbit because they're mad. Right. Because Br'er Rabbit has tricked Br'er Bear, and Br'er Fox still wants to eat Br'er Rabbit for lunch. Right. So they create a little doll out of tar. Yes. And dress him up. And this is when we get the song like, how do you do? Yeah, which I, I like that song. Fine, how are, how are you? you? And that's another nice thing about, like, the animation here is cute. Mm-hmm. And it's a cute song. I believe they use it in Splash Mountain. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, sure as you're born. Which I was so positive was, time to be moving along. Time to be moving along. Don't know why. You know... I, it just, you're going to do a Google to see if it's not a Mandela effect? I'm actually wondering if the lyrics are different in Splash Mountain. See, because I also have memories of being in kindergarten and listening to the music from Song of the South a lot. Nope, it is pretty good. Oh, the end of the song is time to be turning around. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. It's no, here it is. It's time to be moving along. Not crazy. So... It's used in Splash Mountain because I think they use it for much longer in Splash Mountain than it is in the movie. Okay, that makes sense. So you're not crazy. Congratulations. Hooray! It feels great to be not crazy, guys. Yay! So they dress up this... it, It is legitimately a baby made of tar that has buttons for eyes and is wearing like a trench coat. And like a hat. And a hat. And when they sing the song, Br'er Rabbit goes to the tar baby and says, How do you do? And no response. And Br'er Rabbit tries again. How do you do? No response. And he's getting mad. So he punches the tar baby. He says, I'm going to ask you one more time. And if you don't answer me in three seconds, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. 
But here's the thing, and because I remember this from the tape and, I, and seeing this again here, he calls, he says Tar Baby here. Yes. Like, listen here, Tar Baby, if you do not respond to me. So, as a child, I was like, well, if Briar Rabbit knows it's just the thing of Tar, why is he getting upset? That would be like if he was like, say hi, hi to me, Rock. Come on, you rock. Say hello to me. I mean, everything else had said hello to him. Tar Baby's a slur, right? I, did he refer to it as... Oh, I'm 95% sure. He he uses that phrase. Hold on. I have the script. Okay. Gonna do a little control F Tar Baby. No, it's broken down by scene really well. I want to make a point about the script right now. Uh, I found a copy of the script on songofthesouth.net, which is an apologist website for this movie, but it's really useful for what I need right now. And it's written in the vernacular. Right. Which is, like, it's written with the accent. Did you read the Harry Potter books? Whenever there was a character with an accent, she would write out the accent. Right. I hate anything written like that, because as a dyslexic, it's very hard for me to read. Well, they wrote it in the script. Yeah, not a fan of that. Uncle Remus calls him a tar baby, but Br'er Rabbit does not appear to call him that. I could have sworn he says, listen here, tar baby. Br'er Rabbit never calls him that. You hear it during that scene maybe, because yeah. Remus calls him that. Maybe that's where I'm getting confused. But, like, it's a slur. Like... I believe it's a slur used in that famous Chevy Chase, Richard Pryor scene. Is Um, it? I believe it's the first one he says. Probably pretty ready for this job. We got one more uh, kind of psychological test we always do here. It's just a word association. I'll uh, throw you out a few words. Uh, Anything that comes to your mind, just throw it back at me, okay? Just kind of an arbitrary thing. Like if I said dog, you'd say... Tree. Tree. (laughs) Dog? Tree. Fast. Slow. Rain. Snow. White. Black. Bean. Pod. Negro. Whitey. Tar baby. What'd you say? Tar baby. Oh, Oof. Me, that's a clip I can probably include. Yeah. So he punches the tar baby in the face and gets stuck in the tar. Yes. Like, this whole thing doesn't really make sense of, like, why is Briar Rabbit acting this way? And more importantly, again, shows like, had he just kept walking? And not resorted in violence because he was slighted slightly. Yeah. None of this would be happening. Right. But he punches the tar baby, ends up stuck in the tar, and now Br'er Fox is going to eat him. Even though he's covered in tar, it's probably not going to taste as good. I mean, you'd skin him before you ate him. I guess that's right. So you you don't eat the fur anyway. Uh, Well, he actually, I'm not sure if he's going to eat him. Because he just talks about how excited he is to kill him. 
You're right. He talked about eating him in another story. Yeah. He's like, we're going to knock his head off. He does mention skinning him and all these other things. And uh, this is where the very clever Br'er Rabbit says, uh, yeah, you can skin me if you want. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. Just please, whatever you do, don't throw me into that briar patch. Yep. And uh, that's when the log goes over the falls. Uh, And basically because he acts like that's not the thing he wants least, Br'er Fox is like, well, that's what I'm going to do. And throws him into the briar patch. And that's exactly what Br'er Fox or Br'er Rabbit wants because he was born and bred in a briar patch. Yeah, he's lived in the briar patch all his life. He's also the smallest of the three characters. So he is able to kind of you know, bob and weave, and he doesn't get pricked by the briars the way the fox and the bear do. Yeah, which, it makes a lot more sense to me, because as a kid, I thought it was briar rabbit and briar fox, and I was just like, how does he not know that briar rabbit is fine in the briar patch? No, it's brer, which is short for brother. Right. So, Johnny learns this, like, trickster role model. The Faber boys confront Johnny about stealing their puppy. Right. And they threaten to tell Johnny's mother. Yes. And Johnny, having learned this new skill, says, oh, you can tell uh, my mom. You can tell my grandmother. Yeah, just don't tell your mom. Because Ginny has told Johnny that... The Faber's mother has said, if you bring up that puppy one more time, I'm going to beat you both. Yes. You know, child abuse. So, since that is what Johnny says he wants least, that's exactly what they do. And they run up, and they tell their own mom, and then they get whooped. Yeah, they get beaten. And it's hilarious! Yeah, and we're supposed to think that's a great outcome. Yeah! And then we get this little side scene. With uh, Aunt Tempe and Remus. And it's Tempe singing a song about... She's cooking and singing a song. And then, like, we get this almost courting scene between her and Remus. Right. Um, It's, like, the only time we see two black characters interacting with each other. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't noticed that, but you are 100% correct. And it's really just... So Tempe was played by Hattie McDaniel, who was a very famous actress, and she was the first African-American actress to win an Oscar. Oh. Yeah, she won for Gone with the Wind. Okay. For playing Mammy. Okay. So she probably had this song put in. To make this worth her while and to showcase her. Yeah. Because the scene doesn't really have a lot of purpose. No. I had forgotten about this scene until you brought it up just now. I had to look up when in the movie it happened. Okay. Because it doesn't really further anything. It's just this little, like, little scene with Tempe and Remus. Right. About their lives and it's mostly Tempe singing. And, uh... Remus talking about his stories. So, Remus is eating her food. Right. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I have nothing to say about this scene. Sorry. So then... More cartoons, please. Yes. Um, 
So then the Faber boys go and tell on Johnny to miss Sally. Yes. So he loses the dog, right? Um, yeah, because Sally thought he already got rid of the dog. Mm-hmm. And so they get mad at Remus for keeping the dog. Right. Why? So then Sally confronts Remus and says he has to stop telling stories. Right. He's still allowed to see Johnny, but he can't tell his stories anymore. Yeah, because it's being a really bad influence on him. Because he used to be so honest, and now he's becoming a trickster. Yes. Um. So now no one is happy. And Grandma, who is fairly sympathetically portrayed, yeah. confronts Sally about... You know, a child his age needs friends. Right, so we're having a birthday party. That's how Sally decides to handle it. She offers Johnny a birthday party with other kids. Mm Mm-hmm. And Johnny wants Ginny Faber to be there. Right. And Sally's like, "Ah, but she's poor. Yeah, did you notice the poorness about her? And I don't think it was ever on the table for Toby to be there at all. And Toby's not really mentioned. Toby's like missing at this point in the yeah, story. Yeah, Toby's not in about half this yeah, film. Toby start, just disappears after his fun frog scene. So he wants Ginny to go, and Sally's like, I guess. And he's super happy, and uh, Ginny gets super dressed up. Yeah, it's this very sweet little moment where uh, Ginny's mother teaches her how to curtsy and goes, yes. like, Remember your manners. And Ginny goes, Pleased to meet you. Pleased to meet you. And, like, does a cute little curtsy. And she's all dressed up. And Johnny has come to collect her for the birthday party. Yes. It's this, like, cute little puppy love thing. But the favorite boys are none too happy about this. Well, they're salty because they didn't get invited. Because mm-hmm. it's going to be a birthday party. And there's going to be cake. And it sounds like there's going to be presents for everybody. Yeah, everybody gets presents. I get more, but everybody gets presents. Yeah, there's going to be loot bags is the way I kind of took it. Yeah. And, you know, for Ginny, this is probably like the highlight of her year. Yeah. Because she's not only poor, but she's also like the beaten up little sister. Yes. So for her to have something fancy and for her to have something nice, she's very excited. And the Faber boys start to start a physical confrontation. Throw her in the mud. Ginny gets shoved in the mud and it ruins her dress. Yes. And she cries because yeah. she's a seven-year-old girl. So Johnny just beats the hell out of one of them. Oh my god. Jo- Johnny Roman Reigns spears again. Yeah, and he's just like, mmm, taking them out again. Like that scene in A Christmas Story. And he's just pounding down, just what, punching what and punching. What scene in A Christmas Story? It's from A Christmas Story. Just pounding down, just dropping potatoes. And then the second brother grabs a stick. Yeah, and is like, oh, I'm going to murder Johnny. <laughs> so then um, Uncle Remus intercedes. Ginny has run off in the melee. And Johnny goes after her. And even though he's not supposed to tell stories, Remus tells them about the laughing place. Because yes. everybody's got a laughing place. Right. Now, for this one, do we just start with Br'er Rabbit captured? Yes. Like, we we don't get a, a fun story. It's just like, yeah, he, he gets caught again. This, that's just what he does. He gets caught. So, so he's caught again, and they're going to cook him alive. Yeah. Like he's a lobster. Yeah, like they're going to, like, spit roast him. Yeah. And despite this very terrifying fact, 
Bear Rabbit can't get, can't stop laughing. Yep. Because he's got a laughing place that he just loves and he just keeps thinking about it and he keeps laughing. And you know what? He's such a good pal. He's going to show his captors his laughing place. Yep. Everybody's got a laughing place. Everybody's got one. So he goes. You all know that from Splash Mountain. Yes. He goes and uh, to show him his laughing place. And he doesn't have one. He's just trying to take them as far away from. He's just killing time until he comes up with a scheme. Yep. And then he finds a place full of bees. Bees? Bees. Bees. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's my laughing place. And Br'er Bear goes in and he gets stung a bunch. He's like, I didn't think that was very funny. It's full of bees. Yeah. And then like. Br'er Bear also gets a honey, like the beehive stuck on his head mm-hmm. in a very fun cartoon fashion. And then he gets it off of him and then it ends up on Br'er Fox. Yeah. And everybody but Br'er Rabbit gets stung a whole lot. Yeah. Now this time, uh, Rabbit does try to escape, but Fox keeps pulling him back in because he's still tight. He's still like on a leash. Yeah. So this time he is still trying to leave. Mm-hmm. But the bees are real mad. Yeah. And they're like, what kind of laughing place is this? And the rabbit says, I didn't say anything about it being your laughing place. It's my laughing place. My laughing place. And then he's able to escape. Yes. Yay. (laughs) Good for him. (laughs) And, And then the cartoon's over and we're back to live action, which is less good. Yeah. And then, um, Sally comes and finds them to find that Uncle Remus is telling a story and Johnny has skipped his birthday party. Yeah, he missed the whole party. Yeah. And um, Sally is now nuclear mad. And she says that Remus can no longer speak or to or see Johnny. Mm-hmm. And so Johnny and Ginny walk out dejected. And they Johnny walks Ginny home. And to her delight, her father is home. Yes. And she's like, I'm going to tell him about the Laughing Place story. And... He's going to laugh like anything. And Ginny's laughing place is when her father is home. Right. Because you get the impression that uh, she is so kind and loving and sweet because she is beloved by her father. Yes. And uh, Remus has decided that life is not worth living on the plantation without this child he's only known for like a couple weeks. Yeah, that has just shown up. And he is going to leave for Atlanta. Yes. It's super weird that he's this fixated on this little kid. Yeah. Now, I have a theory here, but we'll we'll debate it in a moment. So, Johnny decides that his laughing place is Remus's cabin. Right. And he dis- discovers that Remus has left, and Toby rematerializes. Yeah. Say, like, hi, I'm part of the plot. And he announces that Remus has gotten into a wagon and gestures... Uh, some distance away to where Remus is getting into the wagon. Right. So Johnny screams for Uncle Remus and tries to run after him. But the fastest route through this field where Chekhov lives. And Johnny is running in his burgundy red suit. (laughs) That's not going to make Chekhov very happy. And then we see Sally like run along the fence and we don't see what really happens to Johnny. Yes. We just see Sally's scream we didn't know how to film a child getting gored in the 40s well especially because like he doesn't really get gored he gets hit by a bull yeah 
Because, like, he's bloodless. We see him in the yeah, next shot. You see the aftermath, and in the aftermath, they all run to get him. And the bull is just kind of standing there like, yep, did that. Uh, Am I in the shot? I'm Chekhov. Mm, I hope this gets a spinoff. Get my own movie. I'll be voiced by John Cena. <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed that reference. <laughs> so, uh, Sally is horrified and grabs for Johnny because everyone knows when somebody suffers major trauma, the first thing you do is move them as much yes, as Yes, grab them by the head. Um, so, we cut to outside of the house. Right. All of the sharecroppers, all of the black people, are outside. Including, like, Toby, who is Johnny's best friend. The Fabers are nowhere to be seen. No. They are vanished. So everyone is keeping vigil over this child they barely know or don't know. Right. Because we have not established Johnny having a relationship with anybody on the plantation outside of his immediate family, Toby and Remus. Yeah. And Tempe. Mm-hmm. Um... So for some reason, everyone's keeping vigil. Right. For some reason, all these people care. And it's so that they can sing a song while we're all sad about Johnny. Yeah, so we can get some mood music. Because these, like, the people who live on this plantation are living props. Right. For the most part. Uh, And they're still not well lit. No, because his dad shows up. Yes. And when his dad shows up, it's also revealed that Uncle Remus is there. Yeah. And I am unclear if Remus came back with his father because he was going to Atlanta where his father was. Mm -hmm. Or if Remus just didn't leave because Johnny got injured and then he felt bad. Or that wasn't Uncle Remus because he is so poorly lit. In that scene, that I was not sure it was him. It's a hundred percent him. <laughs> I know, but um, like, I'm, the point I'm making is this scene is hard to look at because it is hard to identify what's going on because it is so poorly lit. Right. So, yeah, because like Uncle Remus isn't even off the plantation when Johnny gets hit. Yeah. So I, I'm unsure if Remus has like. I'm guessing Remus has returned with Mister Johnny. Yeah. Because Uncle Remus being back is seen as a big deal as well. Right. So that, uh, based on the context clues, that's what I'm getting there. And uh, Remus is fine. No, because we see Remus find out what happened to Johnny. And he sadly removes his hat. You're right. Okay. And of course, Mr. Johnny goes right inside, but Remus still has to stand outside. Right. He is not invited into the house. And Bobby Driscoll, who plays Johnny, is not... The greatest child act. Child acting has come a long way in the last six, yeah. 70 years, folks. And uh, he cries out for Uncle Remus, even though they're like, Daddy's here. And he's like, Uncle Remus. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, this is like a man Johnny has known for maybe a couple weeks. Yeah. So, finally, Grandma has had enough. And Grandma goes outside and is like, Remus, come on. Get in yeah. here. You fix this. <laughs> Can you fix this kid that got broke? And Remus is like, oh yeah, cool. And so Remus comes in and he comes around when he hears Uncle Remus and he holds Uncle Remus's hand. And Grandma is like, yeah, no duh. Remus and I are the smartest people here. Yeah. And so then like he comes around and he's like, oh, my dad's here and my mom's here and everyone's happy. 
and we start moving toward the happy ending. We smash cut to Johnny, totally healed, even though he was drifting between life and death, and delirious two seconds ago, and he's with Ginny and Toby. And the dog, who has not been drowned. Yay! And Johnny, Ginny, and Toby are able to conjure Br'er Rabbit without Remus, even though Remus is there, but they are able to conjure and see him and interact with him. And then we get the single best acting in the whole film. I don't know what they did, but the dog interacts flawlessly with an animated character. I mean, I, I can tell you exactly what they did. They waved a treat around? They, they had a dog, then they were shooting the dog, and the dog happened to look around a lot, and then they just drew around that. I know, I just, the dog is good. He's a good boy. But the moment that really gets me is there's a moment where the frog jumps across the the pond mm-hmm. and there's ripples in the actual pond. And um, as an animation nerd, uh, there's the phrase bumping the lamp, mm-hmm. which is in Roger Rabbit, he's being held, Roger Rabbit's being held and Roger bumps a lamp. Mm-hmm. And it's a real lamp that moves. Right. So they had to figure out a way to make it a non-existent character hit this lamp. And then in doing that, they that's going to affect all the shadows of all the animated characters. They oh have my to God. fix all of that. So anything, and the average person will not real, realize how hard that was. No. It's like such a small moment. So the idea of bumping the lamp is doing something very difficult that probably will go unnoticed to create their sense of reality. When the frog jumps across the pond and there's ripples, I was like, well, how, how did they do that? Yeah, I mean, this was... In the 40s. This was a very technologically advanced film. Yeah. So, like, I was... The end of this movie is visually very impressive. It is. And that's what... Like, because I immediately turned to you and I was like, all right, what other things exist at this point that could match this? Yeah, because you were asking me when was Mary Poppins in relation to this. Yeah. Mary Poppins was in 1964. Like, nothing. Nothing is is this good next to this right now. Correct. Like, it's spectacular. Like, Bedknobs and Broomsticks is the 70s. Really? I think yeah, it's, it's a been... full 25 years after. It's the girl from Murder, she wrote, so yeah, that makes sense. So, that's the end of the movie, is they kind of, like... Ginny, Toby, the dog, Johnny, and Remus all kind of just go off into the sunset and play. So, this movie's really controversial. Uh, This movie was controversial when it happened. There was an op-ed published in, I want to say, the New York Times called Spanking Walt Disney. Ooh. Where critics were talking about how, like, the race relations in this are distasteful. Yeah. It's a lot of... Happy former slaves who live their lives in subservience to rich white people. Yes. And even in 1946, they were like, ah, I don't think that's great. Right. And I've heard the argument many times before where it's something like this will come out and they'll say, well, it is historically accurate. And okay, sure, it's historically accurate that there were sharecroppers and things like that. The message shouldn't be, and that's fine. (laughs) Like, it's okay. Because as I was watching this, 
I did have in the back of my head, like, this is problematic. This has some issues, but it's not terrible because what will happen is the mother will keep pushing Remus away and at the end apologize to him. Like, that's really the thing that's missing from this. Yeah. Because it would be entirely acceptable to have this character constantly push Remus away. Like, get away from my son. What you're saying is not good. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And then have her have that moment where she's like, I realize now that I was wrong. I shouldn't have said those things. You're, you know, Johnny's lucky to have you. Thanks, Uncle Remus. And Sally never does that. Yes, having sharecroppers is realistic. But the fact that their entire existence revolves around Johnny is at best bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Like, we we hear them singing the song, That's What Uncle Remus Said. And we don't see any individual people. We don't get to know anybody. And it's underscore for Johnny. They sing this song when they're keeping vigil. That's just underscoring Johnny's story. This is kind of a large-scale equivalent of when a female character exists to further a male character's story. Yeah. Only it's an entire race of human beings. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, mm. it's... Nothing can, like, fix that. Especially, like, Toby's mysteriously not present for the birthday party. Yeah. And, like, we don't get a lot of... And, like, Toby kind of gets dropped like a hot potato when Ginny turns up. Yeah. He seems to prefer Ginny's company. He stays with both of them at the end. Right. But the the relationships here, they kind of try to idealize the relationship between uh, the black sharecroppers and the white owners as being equal. Right. And it's not. Because, like, the power balance is intrinsically screwed. Right. Like... Yeah, of course you're going to be nice to Grandma, because Grandma owns the land that you live on. (laughs) Right. Like, you're not going to be rude or mean to your landlord, who could, uh, like, there are no tenant laws. Right. Like, it's not like they can go lawyer up. (laughs) True. Because the laws are not in place to protect them. Like, this is, you know, early, this is Reconstruction still, probably, so I don't know... I'm not as well-versed as I should be. Right, right. I know there's going to be at least one person who listens to this who's going to be like, you should have just asked me these questions. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm not going to text him in the middle of the night while we're recording this. Good call. So, like, there are laws already starting to be enacted to make sure black people cannot advance in society. So this idea that, like, everyone was super happy about it is not accurate. Right. The sharecroppers' lives wouldn't revolve around, oh, the dumb little white kid ran into the bullpen. Yeah. Like, no one's gonna, like, be keeping that vigil. Because most of these people are not established to have any relationship with Johnny. Yeah, this is true. I mean, Rose from Titanic at least spent a few minutes in steerage at a dance party. Johnny doesn't even do that. No. Johnny doesn't spend any significant amount of time with the sharecroppers as a group. Yeah. He only spends time with Remus and Toby. Yes. And Aunt Tempe. True, true. I keep kind of forgetting Aunt Tempe because she's 
not part of a lot of the main action. No, she really isn't. She's very much removed from that dynamic. So this movie was controversial even then. Yeah. There were apologists. Uh, Leonard Maltin, famously an apologist for really? this film. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, he is a huge apologist for this film. Uh, there is a huge, like, the nostalgia goggles on this movie are crazy. Um, anyone over the age of, like, 50 probably saw this movie in theaters at some point or another. Because Disney used to re-release these films. Okay. Disney used to re-release all of their animated films roughly every seven years. Okay. Before home video release. Gotcha. Because then every seven years they could kind of get... Like, hey, remember this? And they could get the next generation of kids. Because if you were two, the last time Cinderella came out and you don't remember it, you're nine. Yeah. On the next one. So, like, seven years is kind of that perfect number to get every kid between the ages of four and 11. Right. So, this movie had been re-released numerous times. And there's a lot of people who look back on this movie fondly who aren't really thinking about the racial implications of it they're looking at it in a very shallow way of like no remus and johnny are friends therefore racism is solved right so and now like the last release of this was in 1986 right before they built splash mountain in disneyland and disney world interesting now splash mountain does everything it can to strip out the race optics yeah uh, they really don't want to talk about the Uncle Remus, Johnny story. It's all Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Bear, Br'er Fox. Yeah. And construction began in 1987 at Disneyland. So right after the uh, last re-release of the film. Gotcha. Okay. It opened in 89 in Disneyland and 91 in Disney World. Wow. So this movie had already been, like, kind of put in the vault for, oh, excuse me, 92 in Disney World. Okay. So the movie had been in the vault. It was almost due for re-release again, technically, by the time yeah. it was. But by that point, they had decided not to re-release it again and to formally put it in the vault forever. Yes. It is not on Disney+. Plus. It is not going to be on Disney+. Plus. Um... That that was the big question when they announced Disney Plus. It's like, yeah, it's going to be everything, 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 everything. Well, well not myself. So this was available in the UK on DVD as recently as the year two thousand. Real this millennia. Yeah. Okay, VHS, not DVD. Okay. So still, still. so you could still get it legally. Fifteen, roughly fifteen years after. The original United States release. Because I also did have this thought while we were watching it. Because, you know, Snow White came out forever ago. Right. But it looks better than this movie because every time they re-release it, they, like, digitally enhance it so it doesn't have, like, cigarette holes in it and stuff. Yes. It's been a while since I've seen a movie that hasn't had that treatment. Mm Mm-hmm. It's real fuzzy. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they if they were going to re-release it, they would have to do some work with it. Yeah. Uh, so what I, I find fascinating is this movie, I think, is a huge uh, demonstration of the Streisand effect. 
Right. I think this movie has become more desirable to acquire and see purely on the grounds that it is banned. Yes, yes. Right up there next to the Star Wars Christmas special. Which we also covered on this show. Yes. Which was also not very good. (laughs) And as recently as 2010, the Disney company has said, like, we may re-release it. We need to figure out the way to do it. So... Uh, Whoopi Goldberg actually wants the movie re-released. Really? Yeah. I think there is something to be said about um, re-releasing controversial media for educational purposes. Right. Uh, For instance, I've seen the World War II propaganda shorts, which they released under this... um, They re-released it under this banner of, like, the Walt Disney Collection, the War Years. It's not cheap. It's not easy to come by. It's like $100 for the DVD set. That's insanity. And there are three categories. There are the PSAs, which easy to find. It's like, look, this is the PSA about growing food. This is the PSA about like victory gardens, whatever. And then they have the entertainment ones, like the Spirit of 80 or Spirit of 43, which is about paying your taxes. Right. And then they have the vault. And the vault are the controversial ones, like Donald Duck in Der Fuhrer's face Mm -hmm. and Commando Duck. Commando Duck is uh, very racist. Yeah. Like on a scale of one to racist, it's, oh, wow, that was for kids. Yikes. Okay. So. Racist against whom? The Japanese. Okay. Uh, Because it's a World War II short in the Pacific theater. So. These There is precedent for controversial media being released. There's also uh, a group of censored Looney Tunes cartoons. Yes. That have been re-released with a disclaimer saying, like, these are a product of their time. We are re-releasing them for educational purposes. And we do not hold these views. Gotcha. And I kind of think that that, that at this point would be the way to address Song of the South. And that's just my personal opinion. Right. Because I think we have sort of created a mystique around it as yeah. Disney fans, as a society of it's the banned Disney movie, the movie Walt Disney doesn't want you to see. Right. And I think that's why there's an allure to seeing the film. Yeah. Because when it came out that I had uh, discovered a copy of it, I've had uh, multiple friends be like, yo, can I borrow that? Yeah. Because it's the banned Disney movie and everyone exactly. wants to see the banned Disney movie. If it was just a hundred bucks on Amazon... No one would care. Right. If you had to just kind of go look for it and pay a significant amount of money and like it was something you had to get out of your school library. Yeah. I I feel like it would be less... Sought um, after. It'd be less sought after. No one would care about it. I think Disney made a weird call doing Splash Mountain because they want to bury this movie, but they don't... They still want to merchandise it? Right. Uh, Because I remember they did show the Br'er... Rabbit Brer Bear shorts on the Disney Channel when we were children. Yeah, I, I do not recall that. I remember I, seeing that. I believe kid. you. And I know I have never seen the whole movie Song of the South until quite recently. Right. So uh, I guess then I have to ask, what's your verdict? Hard stay doomed. Hard stay doomed. Uh, like I said, I believe that this movie... I'm going to use stay doomed as, I don't think this movie should come out of the vault with like a big splashy re-release with lots of merchandise at the Disney store. Right. I I think a quiet educational release 
would not be inappropriate mm-hmm. because this is a historical piece. And by historical, I don't mean that it's a historically accurate representation of the 1870s, but it's a Disney movie that should be that like should be available for study, right? As like part of the history of the Disney company. Okay. So, but I I, I don't really want to walk in and find like Uncle Remus dolls at the Disney store. <laughs> Understandable, because it is a lot of cultural appropriation. Like literally, Joel Chandler Harris. Stole these stories and sold them. Right. Where I'm coming up on this is like, is there anything of value in this? And the the songs are good. Yes. But the songs also survived. Despite all of this. The songs are very much still around. Uh, I would say that that last scene is technologically amazing. Yeah. I mean, even for a film studies lens. Yeah. And, uh. If you were to like remove, like if you if you were like, okay, it's racist, but let's just look at the story. The story's not great. No, it's not really that great a movie. It's really not that entertaining. And you know, knowing that this is super like the band movie, mm-hmm. you kind of go into it expecting it to be horribly racist, right? And it's not horribly racist. It's subtly racist. Which is why I'm going with Stay Doomed. Right. Because it kind of falls under that category of Heil Hitler, I'm Home. Where it's it's not that, like, man, this is racist. It's stereotypes and keeping people down done at a very subtle level. Which is more insidious. Which is more insidious because... One, you can miss it, mm-hmm. and two, you can see it and be like, "Ah, it's not that bad." And like, and which just marginalizes it more, right? And that's there is a huge community that wants this movie released and brought back to its former glory because they are missing all of that. Yeah, they are the people who are not catching that it's racist, that mm-hmm. are not catching the problematic aspects, and they are looking at it through the nostalgia goggles of like, yeah. "No, I saw this when I was a kid, and it was fine." And meanwhile, it's like, yeah, but I bet you your nephew has asked you to stop saying racist stuff at Thanksgiving, too. Yeah. That, that's why I thought it was so important that that scene that I was so sure was coming of the mother being like, I was wrong. It was bad for me to treat you this way. It was so important because it was like, oh, they're going to address it. They're going to address it. Oh, they're not going to address it? Oh. Oh, this is a problem. Yeah, so it's a stay doomed. It's... I think when you say this is the banned racist Disney movie, people are expecting Birth of a Nation. Right. And it's not. It's a kid's movie that has some very, very racist, problematic themes, patterns, and characterizations. Yeah. And like I said, I I don't think this movie should be banned, locked away forever. But if they were going to ban and lock it away forever, maybe retheme Splash Mountain. Right. Right now, Disney is doing the worst thing, which is they're trying to have it both ways. In that they want to ban this movie, but they want to sell you Br'er Rabbit. Yeah. The uh, the problem I have is I don't know what I would retheme Splash Mountain to be. Because they are the other log flume's already frozen. Yeah, and they it's in Frontierland, so it, I guess Home of the Range, the ride. Yeah, like like all the other Frontier stuff is also pretty bad. Yeah, so. they don't. They haven't. 
I'll make a new movie. That seems like a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, stay doomed. It's racist. It's not. It's not really worth the time. No, it's really not that great. It's not earth shattering. After you see it, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. No, that that happens. It's what it claimed to be. That being said, if you're a, a scholar of film studies, African American studies, or history. This might be like a really cool thing to see just because of its unique place in history and its weird cult. Yeah, it's a pretty cool thing to talk about. Yeah. I've enjoyed talking about it much more than I enjoyed watching it. Viewing it, it, yes. So, yeah. uh, I would not let your little kids see it. Yeah. I don't want, don't let them internalize any of this is okay. Yeah. But as an adult with your eyes open, there is merit to seeing what this was historically. So, as we uh, we rebury this one, Ugh. what are we watching next week? <laughs> For a complete change of pace. Yes. We are watching Van hyphen Pyres. I don't think there's a hyphen. I think it's just a space. I think it's Van space Pyres. Um, so, no, it's Van hyphen Pyres. It's a hyphen? All right. It is about uh, car vampires. Car vampires. <laughs> It's all on YouTube. It's... We're a few episodes in already. Oh, it boy. is something. Where can people reach us? You can email us at thestaydoomedshow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Stay Doomed. But what if they want to see us live? Uh, then you'll be going to J1Con November uh, 1st through 3rd in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Yes, come see us down there. There will be We will be there as well as people that look surprisingly like us as part of cosplay pro wrestling and uh if you want to talk to me about uh i don't know vampires i'm at tv's noah if you have a lot of complicated feelings about your disney fandom i'm at priorities and really at me if you want to talk about this because i like talking about this till next time stay doomed